0: There were many sides to the story. Of course, we all have our own side to the story as well, because Jesus did not stay back in time. He didn't just go to heaven and never be heard from again. He's alive today, and we can hear and we can experience and know him all these years later because of what the witnesses reported, because it was recorded in Scripture, and because the Holy Spirit used their words to make the word and tell us this story all these years later we can have confidence that easter is not just some event that happened long ago in a land far away it's not a once upon a time like story it's a story it's history it's an event that happened that changed everything now if you've ever wondered if you've ever wondered why about anything in life and i know as a preacher you would expect me to say this but i really believe this with the heart with my heart of hearts today I would suggest that Easter might have your answer. Why did God create the world? Why did God create us, all of us, all of us so different from each other? Why does God allow suffering? Why does God permit bad things that happen? I don't know what your questions are today. I don't know the questions you may carry with you. Maybe something general about this universe that perplexes you. Maybe something that troubles you. Maybe something specific or personal that nags you day after day. I don't know what your questions are. But if you had God's attention, and let's just say that you do right now, and you could ask him why about anything, what would you ask him? Would you ask him why he does this or why he did that? Would you ask him why he gave you that, but he gave them something else? Maybe you've been raised to think your questions are invalid or inappropriate. Maybe you've been told your questions are too complicated. Regardless, I want all of you to consider coming back today. But there's a catch. If you ask God why about anything, if you really want an answer, I hope you're willing to accept God's answer. I hope you're willing to at least consider that God is right and that God has something to enlighten and inform us today that we can't find from anybody or anywhere else. I hope that after, the, after our conversation today, my goal, my, my, my goal of this in conversation, my goal of every Sunday, but my goal today is that we might trust God's answer that he gives us to the answer that we ask to the question that we ask, why this or why that? I hope that you'll trust what God has to say today. The funny thing about human nature is, That we often ask why out of confession that we don't know, but we often resist when God tells us what he does know. That our nature loves to taunt us with what we don't know, but it also wants to trick us and trap us in our unknowing. It doesn't want us to take God at his word. It doesn't want us to trust God. But if there's ever been a given reason, if there's ever been a reason for you to trust God, it's Easter, If there's ever been a reason you should believe God and take God at his word, Easter is the reason. Easter, I believe, the Bible teaches, history has pretty much confirmed. Easter proves that God is trustworthy. Easter proves that God has an answer that is enough for us. Easter is a season of confirmation, bringing with it a notion and a wind of certainty. It carries a message of restoration and completion. Easter reveals to us that we have a God who can handle our questions and who can answer them even better. Easter reveals to us a God who doesn't answer these questions from some lofty, detached throne, high and lifted up from the world. But Easter reveals that we have a God who came to address our questions in our shoes, in our skin, even in our sorrows and our sufferings. That's the God that we learn about in Easter. Easter is the final chapter in the story of God with us. 2000 years ago, God became one of us in the person of Jesus. Maybe you've wondered why would God become one of us? He came to reveal himself to us, to make himself known to us and to make us his own. He revealed God as a loving father who desires to make us his children, removing the obstacles that get in the way that keep us from him. He reveals that God so loved the world rather than punishing it for its sin, he punished, Jesus was punished for our sin. Jesus took our place. Jesus took our place so that we could share his place before God. Jesus, the only begotten son of God, makes us adopted sons and daughters of God. From there, God promises us full redemption and restoration. It's only in part now because God is patient for everybody to come into this family. But one day it will be in full. From there, trusting in him is a decision we must make. Make it very clear. No one can make that decision for us, but one that God is willing to wait on us for. Maybe he's waiting for you to do that just today. Now, maybe you feel, maybe we feel like God owes us more before we can trust him. But I would argue that Jesus is all that we need because his death on the cross makes it so very clear what kind of God he is. Jesus' death reveals why God created this world that would only forsake him because God always intended on becoming one of us and being lifted up among us so that we might be convinced that God is trustworthy, that God is gracious, and only in him can we find a joyous and fulfilled life. Jesus' death reveals why God made us so different. Because it further glorifies that Jesus is a single solution, a shared Savior who brings people together from all over the world. No matter the divisions of gender, race, and culture, out of many we have a common Savior. Out of many we are made and called new creatures Christian. Jesus' death reveals why God allows suffering, suffering a byproduct of a broken world, exclusively restored through Jesus. God allowed the worst thing to happen to the very best to show us that our worst has been forgiven and our best is only found in him. You know, in a lot of ways, Easter narrows us in on. It gives us a clear view that Jesus is our reason, he's our ransom, and he's our redeemer. He brings reason to our life. He ransoms us from lesser life. He redeems us from the worst now and forever. Now, I argue all of this can be gathered and understood from a single word that came out of Jesus' mouth, a single word. While he hung on the cross, he suffered, his life grew dim. On the cross, Jesus is remembered for seven famous sayings, seven famous words or sentences that he spoke, but none are more important than a single word. In our Bible, it is three words, but in the original language, it was one. A single word that came out of his mouth may be the most important thing that we need to hear from Jesus this morning. And if you have a Bible, John chapter 19 is where I would like you to turn with me today. We're going to be reading through the end of the chapter and into chapter 20. John 19, of course, is the story of Jesus being sentenced to die, crucified, and of course, his death and burial and resurrection follow suit. So if you haven't read the gospel, um, if you just pick up in chapter 19 of John and read the, the end of this book, you'll get a clear picture of why Jesus died, who he is, and who he can be to you. But this morning, our goal is to hear these words of Jesus and understand what they reveal to us specifically, why we can trust God because of what he said and because of what he did. So John 19, verse number 30, Jesus, again, hanging on the cross, uh, being uh, you know, bleeding out near death, says in verse 30, when it received the sour wine, he said, it is finished, Now, we know this speaks of his atoning for our sin, but really there's something bigger here that encapsulates forgiveness, but it goes beyond that, too. Now, in our Bibles, in English, this is three words. It is finished. But in the original language, it is a single word that Jesus would have spoken that day. The the original word is a word to telestai, but the root of that word is a word we know as telos, which means to bring a full end, to complete, fulfill, to bring things to the principal aim, to make things have their full and final purpose. That Jesus said, now, finally, because of what I've done and what I'm going to do over the next couple of days because of my death and what it will begin and what it will start and what it will lead to because of my death on this cross and of course, what will happen on Sunday, it is finished as in God's purpose for creation. God's purpose for your life is now achievable. God's purpose for us as his children is now made possible. You can have an understanding. You can have your answer you can find the reason you exist and you can find the help that you need through even the things that you don't understand. Jesus says, if you will just follow me over the next couple of days, you will understand everything because my death is that powerful to bring about the complete, fulfill, principle, aim, or end. The root word means to reach the end. It's like a pirate looking through a telescope. He can see Farther out, because of Jesus' death, we can see with full strength, capacity to the full effectiveness, Jesus' work allows us to see our true reason. Because he is our ransom, he is our redeemer. And this is kind of our our, our big idea that we're hinging off of this morning. Jesus' work allows us to see how God is using and attending and intending all things. I know that's big to say, all things, because there's a lot of things packed into all, I know. But Jesus' work on the cross allows you to see how God is using and intending all things. It also shows us that you can trust God even when you can't clearly see this. So not only does it, it doesn't just make everything make sense, but it gives you the confidence in God to trust him when you can't see anything. Because after Jesus said these words, what does the rest of verse 30 tell us? He bowed his head. He gave up his spirit. And I know it's hard for us to understand this. Jesus, God in a body, he died. He died. You know why the sun quit shining when Jesus died? You know why the earth shook as if it stopped turning? Because the visiting creator from heaven died. When God's Word became flesh, He became a person just like us, with a body and a soul. His body relied on the same necessities ours does. Lungs needed air. Heart needed blood. On the cross, He was exasperated from air. He was emptied of His blood, and He died. His soul descended to the lower parts of the earth where souls dwelt at the time, righteous in paradise, unrighteous in hell. But from an earthly vantage point, The Jesus that had lived and performed signs and wonders was no longer, he was now dead. And what do you do with someone who is dead? Well, he was buried. I emphasize this because this is part of the reason, maybe the biggest reason why you can trust God. Why you can believe that when Jesus says he gives meaning and makes sense of all things, you can and should believe him and only him because Jesus suspended himself over the unknown of death so that God might make his true and full power known to us. Now let that soak in. If Jesus can die, God in a body, if Jesus can die, helplessly bleed out and give up his spirit, the creator of life, life itself died. If Jesus can do this in confidence, what can't we face with that same certainty? John details about Jesus' burial, teases out something that is tragically ignored that we'll be drawing our inspiration from for the rest of our time that I believe communicates this true spirit and gives us even more confidence in God. Look down at verse number 38, that after he has died and after the soldiers were surprised that he died so quickly, it says that Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus secretly for fear of the Jews, Asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took the body of Jesus. And Nicodemus, who had first came to Jesus by night, also came bringing mixture of myrrh, aloes, about 100 pounds. Then they took the body of Jesus and bound it in strips of linen with spices, as the custom of the Jews is to bury. And highlight, underline, put a circle around verse 41. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden... And in the garden, a new tomb, and in which no one had yet been laid I think John is grinning ear to ear when he writes "A new tomb in a garden." So there they laid Jesus because of the Jews' preparation day. They had to get him off the cross in the grave before the Sabbath began that night. The tomb was near by. They laid him there, again, emphasizing his body was a mere husk. He was lifeless. The one who saved others, the hands that healed lepers, the eyes that saw through hearts, the feet that walked on water, all had lost their ability and agency like any other person who has ever died. They laid his body in a tomb, they buried his body in a grave. But John tells us this was more than a grave, John tells us this was a garden. From just before 6 p.m. Friday evening to around 6 a.m. Sunday morning, Jesus' dead body laid in a tomb in this garden. I think this really talked about the gap between Good Friday and Easter. Not only the gap, but the setting. I think we've missed an incredible blessing as a result. Because it's in this gap that we see something that is so remarkable. I think will leave us with a fresh sense of awe and wonder today. It's good that we have these moments as Christians or as people so that we might step back and say, wow, isn't God good? I can't believe it's so detailed how he was planning this out, preparing this day that I might be able to trust in him because of it. What happens directly after this, Jesus has after his death. is so incredible. We often go straight to Sunday and I get why, because we know what's coming. We're excited. But also we're very uncomfortable with the in between, aren't we? Because Saturday is dark and silent and we don't like unknowns. We like the fact that we know how the story ends. We don't want to dwell in the middle, the messy middle. But isn't that where most of us live? Isn't that what this world really is all about? See, and by skipping ahead to Sunday, we undercut the grace that God wants to give us for the many days of darkness and silence that we face. There's a message that is so intertwined with the rest of the Bible that we miss, a message that reveals and reflects God's nature and heart since the very beginning. So Jesus has been crucified. He has bled to death, and now he's been buried because that's what happens to dead people. They're buried. Now, I don't know what it's like to be dead. I've never been dead. But I will be one day, save the Lord's return. But you know who does know what it's like to be dead? And again, it's hard for our minds to think this because we think of him being so powerful and almighty. You know who knows what it's like to be dead? Jesus. Jesus not only knows what dying is like, he knows what death is like. Isn't that an outrageous thought? Isn't that an outrageous statement to make concerning the Son of God Almighty, God in a body? Why would he ever lower himself to the place of dying? Why would God ever want to know what it's like to be dead? He is life. Ever thought about that? Again, God's plan from the beginning. You know, there are several answers to the question, why did Jesus die? Good Friday says that he died to forgive us of our sins, to remove us from wrath and redeem us and put us in grace. But Saturday gives us a different and a more important answer. Jesus died to be dead like us. Do you hear that? He died to be dead like us, to experience separation with us. If you've ever felt lost, if you've ever felt distance from God and love and anything about life, if you've ever felt numb and in pain and hopeless, Jesus knows what that's like. Not because he had to go there, but because he chose to. He died so that when we face death, we might face it with confidence. Jesus has been there, done that, and endured it. There's no reason for us to have any confidence about death other than what Jesus shows us. Because he was so willing to suspend himself over something that no one knew what would come next. Do you ever consider we have a God who was willing to go to places that he didn't have any means, didn't have any business going? He went there to save you. He went there beyond saving us to identify with us. Why would he do this? Why would a God do this? He became sin for us. He suffered wrath for us. He became dead like us. He experienced separation with us. Do we deserve this? No. No. Yet this is who our God is. This is what Easter is all about. But of course, Easter is on Sunday. And the connection between Saturday and Sunday is this garden. Again, buried in a garden to promise that death is never the end. This isn't the first garden we read about in the Bible. From the very beginning, gardens are thematic settings that God uses to point to this moment. We see gardens all over the scriptures. Of course, Genesis begins in a garden. God planted a garden and put Adam there. And he planted fruit there for Adam to eat and one for him not to eat. He began in a garden, Jesus prayed in a garden, and here he dies near a garden, and he's buried in a garden. now I have to believe, again, John is smiling as he writes the words of verse 41. He was buried in a garden in an untilled tomb, in a new tomb, untilled ground. Don't you see what the Bible's foreshadowing? Back in John 12, Jesus said this kind of obscure parable. Truly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it will bear much fruit. Just because God buries something doesn't mean he's done with it. He may actually be preparing for something much bigger and better. If you think about it, it this really does require, doesn't require a great leap of faith. It's the law of sowing and reaping, the law of planting and growing. What God has planted was the seed of a brand new era, a grand and spectacular new way of life. God buried the old way of humanity in our sin, in our sorrow, in our shame, in, in sin that leads to brokenness, that causes suffering, that causes separation. God buried that. He had absorbed What was vile and sinful about humanity. He had absorbed judgment and wrath that sin deserves. Being put to rest, the old man, Adam's lineage, was buried in the garden where Adam was placed. God told him nothing was off limits except one tree. And of course, that's the very tree they went to. But think about it. One tree ended Adam's life, cursing us all. Another tree ended Jesus' life, saving us all. Jesus buried with him all of Adam's sin. Yet this would be the beginning of a brand new era for humanity. Again, in Genesis, God's garden became man's grave. But in the Gospels, man's grave becomes God's garden once again. Jesus said that the planted seed would bear much fruit. Just consider the fruit that has been born out of his resurrection. All around the world, two billion plus people are singing the praises to Jesus of Nazareth as God's Messiah. The one and only exclusive way to heaven all around the world. People are recognizing a Jewish peasant as the Messiah. How could that ever be something anyone would imagine? Isn't that happening? Isn't what Jesus said, the grain of wheat would bear much fruit? Hasn't that happened as a result of his death, as a result of his burial? Jesus said back in Matthew 13, he told a parable, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man sowed in his field. The smallest of all seeds, when it has grown, it's larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree. So the birds of the air make nests in its branches. I mean, consider what God has done through this day in history. I mean, God had a big plan, didn't he? Boy, did he pull it off. Jesus started and built his church from this day. You know, Jesus didn't die for potential salvations on the cross. He accomplished salvation in his death. He paid in full so much that sin would not and does not send anyone to hell anymore. Unbelief does. For God so loved the world that he sent and gave his only son. Whoever believes in him will not perish. Because sin has been paid for. But here's the so awesome news. Jesus took names to the cross. The name of every would-be member of his church, including your name. He took names there. He didn't just die for, oh, maybe somebody will believe. He died for you. I mean, the death of Christ didn't simply make salvation possible. It purchased redemption for his people, a blood-bought, secured church. See, the second thing, though, we get from Jesus' burial and what would come next. Again, that's big picture, but let's go more personal We should never confuse preparation for devastation. Do you hear that? We should never confuse what God is preparing for something devastating. We should never confuse a garden for a grave. Again, hear this clearly. Jesus wasn't taken to a graveyard when he died. He was taken to a garden. Now, crucified people were usually thrown into a valley called Gehenna. People thought that was where hell, the entrance to hell. It was a valley that burnt all the time. They put hundreds of thousands of bodies in it a year, and they were set on fire. The valley never stopped burning. They thought this was the way you went to hell. Crucified people usually got burnt, but Jesus was put in a garden. Don't you see how incredible that is? The big picture we take this as a reminder that we don't have to fear or worry even if death comes our way. It makes what Jesus said in John 11 all the more powerful. I am the resurrection, I am the life. Whoever believes in me, though he or she dies, yet they shall live. Everyone believes in me, shall never die. You know why you can trust Jesus? Because Jesus died and was dead for half of Friday, for all of Saturday, and for half of Sunday. For three days, he was dead. Do you think about that? That's why you can trust Jesus when he says this. Christians, our bodies are not laid to rest in graves. They are laid in gardens. When we die, we have nothing but life to look forward to. To make this even more practical, there's nothing that God's people cannot come back from, including death. From our sin, our sorrow, our suffering, tomorrow's troubles, sometimes the hardest part is trusting God amidst the loss, holding on until the sun comes up. I know. For us, when we're in the waiting period, when we're waiting in the in-between, we have to do is trust whatever has ended into God's hands. We have to entrust that lost thing, that hopeless thing, that confused thing, that questionable thing. We have to trust that into God's hands. See, a lot of times we've had losses, we've we had setbacks, we've had defeats that we just allow the devil to claim his victories for himself. But what if? What if our sin, our sorrows and sufferings could be redeemed? What if our losses and setbacks and defeats are seeds that God wants to plant? And what if our lives can be reclaimed for God's glory? Easter says this is absolutely the case. What if you started sowing? What if you looked at your life as a seed that's being sown by God that he intends on bringing resurrection from? Even the things you're ashamed of, even the things you are heartbroken over, God says you can trust me with those things. I accept you as you are. I'm asking you to come to me, trust in my work from the cross to the resurrection, but including the burial, including the unknown. You know, the resurrection promise teaches me and teaches you that we, don't, that we know that God does not do anything in vain, that nothing comes into our life in vain so that we can say confidently, God, I know that you don't sow in vain. I know that my life is like a seed that you're sowing, including the things that you're not proud of, including the things that I'm not proud of, including the things that are sinful and sorrowful and suffering. God, I know that you don't sow in vain. And if I am yours, you don't bury things in graveyards, you plant things in gardens and that God is doing that with our life, that our lives have the potential to be redeemed and resurrected. Easter teaches us that we can go to God by faith and miss whatever we've lost and pray, anticipate, and expect him to work something better from our lives and better through our lives. Whatever loss might be behind us, whatever sin might be within us, God will have the final word if we trust his plan. I think this is one of the most practical ways that we can understand the resurrection promise of Jesus. I think this can be a difference making in our lives because we will begin to expect and look for God to work out things that otherwise we would have given up on. This can change our spirits and increase our confidence. This brings Easter to us and works Easter through us every day. And it plays, plays proper tribute to Jesus. This isn't about being optimistic. This is about having a resilient and determined spirit, being confident in God. Listen, for a Christian to accept defeat and not have confidence in what God can do from the ashes of anything is to betray our identity. It mocks our origin story. Don't you think? Because you know what Easter promises us? You know what our inheritance is? Our Easter inheritance is reaping and realizing the power of the spirit of resurrection. Resurrection. That is our inheritance. That is what God has given you. He said, this is yours. You can take it. Not not that you have to earn, be holy enough to get. This is the common gift to every believer if you trust that what Jesus did in his death and his burial and his resurrection promises you you can have the spirit of God, the power of God, the presence of God working through your life. That you might never give up whenever things might seem dark and gloomy because God is in control. God is working out all things. God is in your life working things for his glory. The seed that is sown will grow up, will raise up, will resurrect. Because the capstone, of course, is the morning Sunday morning, that famous story goes like this. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early when it was still dark and saw the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter, the other disciple and Jesus, whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Peter therefore went out, and the other disciple were going out to the tomb. So they both ran together. The other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. And stooping down, looking in, saw the linen clothes lying there, yet he did not go in. Time and Peter came, following him, went into the tomb. He saw the linen clothes lying there and the handkerchief that had been around his head. Not lying with the linen cloths, but folded together in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who came to the tomb first went in also. And he saw and he believed. You know what he believed? He trusted God was in control. He put his faith in this story. For as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went away again to their own homes. We see two different responses to this scene, which I think encapsulates the two responses we can have. When everything is turned upside down, are you a Peter or are you a John? Do you you see a setback? In a graveyard or do you see a garden and a comeback and a resurrection john runs out of the tomb because he'd already sown a seed of faith expecting god to turn this into the comeback of all time sometimes we dread what's next talk ourselves out of even showing up to what might be around the corner the devil stands over us and gloats and mocks the promises jesus has made church today against all that might discourage you and fight against you you can commit and you can find the confidence to show up with a resilient spirit to whatever you face tomorrow. You know why? Because of the promise of Easter. The resurrection promise and power of Easter that is towards us. If we wouldn't just let things sail down the river as if we've lost, but if we started coupling those seeds with prayers, expecting resurrection. That there's no sin that's going to dominate your life anymore. There's no sorrow that's going to define your life anymore. There's no suffering that's going to hold you back to the point that God can't use you anymore. God is in control. And the things that you may feel like are losses, Jesus has redefined as potential victories. That you can expect a resurrection because of the promise of Jesus Christ. That you can be saved. That's what this is all about. Being saved, you know what saved means? It means salvaged, right? It means repurposed. It means redeemed. It means it was in the loss, now it's in the win. It was in the red, now it's in the black. It was empty, it was done, it was over, but now there's a comeback. Now there's new life. Satan wants you to accept that every day, especially the ones that are hard, he wants you to accept that they're graveyards. He wants you to remain in your sin. He wants you to cave into your sorrows, he wants to give up, you to give up in your sufferings. But Jesus resurrection promises you deliverance, comfort, and endurance. Since the beginning God has been picking up the pieces and placing us in the gardens, which means there is always something growing, always something good that can happen even from especially from the ashes of defeat. That's what Easter is all about. That you and I can be saved from hell. From a life that has no meaning, from the sorrows that attempt to suffocate us, you and I can be saved and redeemed and used for God's glory. God the creator allows sin to break him that he might remake us. To make it undeniably clear where our life is from, to make us never question who we should turn to and who we should trust in. So if you want a short summary, why did Jesus die? So that we... Might live so that creation might be restored, so that His grace would restore us, so that we might realize His resurrection promise. He died to be dead like us, so that we might be raised up with Him. But see, right now, for a lot of us, we're still in the grave. I mean, sin is dominating us, sorrow is overwhelming us, suffering is discouraging us. We live in a world that is messy, don't we? We live in the messy middle. And even as Christians, we don't see what God is doing. We expect it either to get better or we're not going to believe. But come on, Christians, come on. Wherever you are in your faith, we are in the middle right now. But Easter reminds you and it promises you and I, we can experience that resurrection right now. If you've never put your faith in Jesus for the first time, you can trust him as your savior. He can redeem you. He can forgive you of your sin. He can bring healing to your sorrows. He can give you purpose in your suffering, in your trials. He ascended to heaven. He's our high priest in whom we can fight in. He was tempted. He was tested. He was killed. He was dead. But he's alive today. And you know why I know this? You know what? As a preacher, I depend on every single Sunday. My words are just words. Sometimes they're witty. Sometimes they're catchy. But most of the times, they're flat but it's the spirit of God that takes his word and words of mere peasants like me that wear microphones. It's the uh, the spirit of God that takes the words of man and the word of God and brings them to our life. And what God is doing today is bringing this to you. He's putting this on the threshold of your heart and he's saying, I want you to get this. I want you to believe this. God can be trusted because he was tempted with sin. He lived a perfect life. He can be trusted because he was tormented in suffering. He died a patient death. He can be trusted because he was threatened with death. And yet he was raised in the power of eternal life. Easter is a forever reminder that you can trust God no matter what with our sin, with your suffering, with death, with every unknown because Jesus turned a grave into a garden. Jesus walked out of a tomb. Because of us, Jesus knows suffering. He knows death. Our sin did this to him, but because of his love for us, he came and walked alongside us in our death in our sufferings. So you can trust him. He's not some guy that's up there calling shots and saying, hey, do this, do that. You know, honor me. I just want you to... He's a God who walked in your shoes and died in your place. He knows death. You can trust him. Because of him, we have a living hope. We can know and have true and eternal life. Forgiveness of sin, comfort in sorrows, endurance in suffering purpose for every single day of your life and even better heaven for eternity I hope you know those promises personally if you don't know those promises personally during this invitation you can make it personal from where you're sitting or I can help you pray about it and show you in God's word where God can make this personal to you but if you have this hope if Jesus is your living hope may today be a day of renewal a day of reclaiming these promises and being restored and revived in this resurrection power. I hope you don't just wait for Sundays to experience this presence and power. I hope you live in it every day. Easter changes everything and it can change everything for you because Jesus is not on a cross anymore. He's not in a grave anymore. He's not just on a throne. Of course he is, but he is in our hearts. His presence moves throughout this house and wherever you go, he goes before you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. And that's why you can trust in God. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you. Lord, you were trustworthy in the beginning. You didn't have to, we didn't, we didn't deserve you to explain yourself. You didn't have to, to, to earn our trust or to come and prove yourself trustworthy, but you did. You did it anyway, even when we prove ourselves unreliable and undependable and unfaithful. You just again and again, every year on Easter, we get to relive the glorious story where you made yourself known, where you poured yourself out, you became dead like us so that we might live like your everlasting life can make possible. God, I pray everybody here today has been encouraged by this good news. And if there's somebody in the house that doesn't know this personally and they just need help, pray in a prayer. God, I pray you might would help them make that decision whether from where they're at or walking down the aisle and at this altar. Lord, for everybody in the house today, if they want renewal, if they want revival, if they want to rededicate their life and the power of the resurrection spirit, Lord, help them to get that today. But help none of us leave this house today without giving you your due praise and your due glory for the day that death was arrested and our life really began. We ask this in Jesus' name, Amen.